Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everyone. Just a quick note before we get started on today's episode. It has been brought to my attention that my pronunciation all of our pronunciations of the word emu are incorrect. It is, in fact, emu. Now, apologies to the entire continent of Australia. Sincerely, I'm sorry. Um, this episode was recorded before it was brought to our attention. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, all of our Australian listeners. We hope that you can still enjoy this episode, even though we incorrectly call it an emu. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out Who's to blame? They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest disasters and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Great Emu War of 1932. Here's what you need to know. As far as I know, the Great Emu War of 1932 is the only official war ever declared by a country's military against an animal. But this unique Australian conflict didn't just arise overnight. Before we dive into the blame game, let's get a little context as to why a group of Australian veterans decided to take up arms against a six-foot bird. The trouble started shortly after World War I. Over 400,000 Australian men had fought on the Western Front and the Middle East. This was a startling number, given that at the time of the war, Australia had a population of around 5 million. More than 60,000 young Australian men lost their lives. Many of those who survived and returned home found it difficult to adjust back to civilian life. 
it was customary for those being repatriated to receive some form of compensation from the government for their service, usually in the form of money or land. At the same time, in the 1920s, the vast interior of Australia was mostly underdeveloped. Seeing this as an opportunity to fix one problem with another, the Australian government issued land grants for the veterans so long as they put it to use by farming on it. This was not the simplest ask, as the harsh terrain of the outback was not conducive for cultivating crops. But the Prime Minister at the time, James Scullin, encouraged the new farmers to grow wheat with an offer they couldn't refuse. The government agreed to buy the crop at a guaranteed price of four shillings per bushel, well above market value. But this unfortunately turned into a promise they couldn't keep. During the Great Depression, world wheat prices took a plunge, and by 1931, the wheat growers were furious when their government subsidies didn't come. Then, in October of 1932, with their harvests due to commence and tensions with the government at their tipping point, an unexpected new villain arose, the emu. Native to Australia, the emu was first identified in 1788. The second largest bird in the world, only outsized by the full-grown ostrich, emus stand between 5 to 6 feet and can weigh up to 120 pounds. For our listeners anywhere outside of America, that's 1.5 to 1.8 meters tall and 55 kilograms heavy. Characterized as curious and inquisitive toward humans, emus can be easily lured for hunting by waving an object in the air. They're mostly vegetarian, subsisting on fruits, seeds, and any vegetation they can find. Initially, they were protected under the Game Act of 1874, but after 1922, they were listed as vermin due to wheat growers complaining their crops were being decimated by the large bird. Emus regularly migrate from the inland areas to the coast after their breeding season, which meant upwards of 20,000 of them were traveling through the newly cultivated western farmlands and munching along the way. It didn't take long for the emus to realize these new wheat farms were great food resources, and they decided to stick around. This did not sit well with the veteran farmers. At first, the veterans, trained riflemen, tried to take matters into their own hands individually, but they didn't stand a chance against the thousands of mighty birds. They put bounties on their beaks. Still, they couldn't rid themselves of their pesky trespassers. They just didn't have the ammunition necessary. That's when they reached out to the Australian military for help on the matter. The Western Australian government agreed and provided the veterans with two Lewis guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition. On November 2nd, 1932, war was officially declared on the emu. Led by Major G.P.W. Meredith of the Royal Australian Artillery, an army set out to gun down a group of 50 birds in the district of Campion. But as they approached the birds in an organized assault, the emus scattered in all directions, minimizing casualties. Two days later, concealed gunners spotted about 1,000 emus making their way towards them. They waited patiently, then shot them point-blank. About 10 to 12 emus were killed when suddenly the machine gun jammed. The surviving emus thanked their lucky stars and scattered once again. In just a few days, an army member observed that the emus seemed to have learned the science of warfare. They'd split into packs, each with their own leader. While one bird kept watch, the rest went about eating and destroying farmland. Once they spotted someone approaching, the watchbird would warn the rest of the flock and away they go. On November 8th, just six days after the start of the war, it was reported that the army had already used up 25% of their allotted 10,000 ammunition. By that point, they'd only managed to kill 200 emus. That's when Major Meredith decided to shift gears. He mounted the Lewis guns on the back of a truck, which could then keep up with the running birds. But it turns out that a truck that can usually go 65 miles per hour on a paved road can barely make it to 20 miles per hour on the rugged outback. 
and forget about getting a clean, stabilized shot while in motion. An even bigger blow was that one truck can only chase one emu at a time. The rest of them could simply run away. Major Meredith needed a new plan. On November 13th, he mounted a second campaign which killed 40 emus on its first day. A month later, it was reported that they were maybe killing 100 emus a week. The math didn't add up. It took 10 bullets to bring down every one emu, a dismal number that had Major Meredith and his army's efforts recalled. On December 10, 1932, the Great Emu War had come to an end, with the Australian troops retreating and victory falling on the wings of the warrior emu. Fun facts, a.k.a. death stats. According to Murray Johnson, in Major Meredith's final report on both campaigns, the commanding officer in the field commented on his extraordinarily high percentage of one definite kill to just under 10 rounds. In fact, he recorded it as precisely 10 rounds per kill. That's 986 birds at a cost of 9,860 bullets. An incredible coincidence. Those figures became even less credible with Meredith's contention that exactly 2,500 emus had succumbed to their wounds. The emu's remarkable ability to soldier on despite sustaining multiple bullet wounds was widely commented on, and even Meredith was forced to concede that, quote, many wounded birds go away into the scrub to die of wounds or blow fly infection. It is unclear how many emus were killed during the war. The humans suffered no casualties. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Good morning, Rebecca. Hello, Alarmy. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hello. And our very special guest is our good friend, comedian, writer, Billy Scafuri. Hello, Rebecca, and hello, Alarmy. <laughs> now, Billy is the co-host of No Joke Podcast, and he hosts it with other fellow Alarmy member, uh, Adam Lustick. Yeah, who I think you two, uh, you three, are all quite familiar with. That's right. We are familiar with Adam. <laughs> right. He talks fast, so that's a good precursor. I also talk fast, so you've been warned, Alarmy. <laughs> yeah, um, so, Billy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the podcast? Um, the No Joke podcast is really just me and Adam riffing on one topic that doesn't get discussed enough. Um, mm. For example, we'll spend 45 good minutes discussing wallets and <laughs> how your wallet actually <laughs> defines who you are as a person. Um, we've done episodes about being bald, and Adam mm. goes into what that's really like. And we just mm. do deep dives on conversations that really don't deserve deep dives. <laughs> it's so topical, honestly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we like call our ourselves show. the least topical podcast on the internet for a reason. <laughs> now, Billy, we like to start off our show by asking our guests, what is something that is alarming you recently or yeah. perhaps keeping you up at night? So it's obviously a complicated world. Politics can easily keep someone up at night. Our addiction to social media can easily keep us up at night. Um, but for, I'm going to really laser focus in on one thing that's probably going to keep me up tonight. I dropped a dumbbell on my pinky and <laughs> I'm in the pre-black and blue stage of the nail. So oh. I'm just going to be tracking. Oh. I'm going to be tracking how the left pinky looks for the next 24. You know, that's that's super loaded. Um, <laughs> it, it means that number one, you're working out. That's exactly what I thought. I was, I was like, you can't complain. At least you've got a dumbbell. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. My one dumbbell somehow still beat me. <laughs> so Chris you and must, Rebecca know. Yeah. You must have anxiety about not being physically fit. Yes. I just want to be <laughs> as vain as possible. I live in Los Angeles, California. I want to present as the most alpha male available. And so I'm <laughs> putting in the work. <laughs> None you know, of that is true. We're, we really support you on your alpha journey. Um, you have for years, Rebecca. That's right. <laughs> what an episode we have for what you guys. What is this? What oh. is happening? What? in the world they don't teach this in history class and i'm angry about it <laughs> is um big bird and emu they are big bird like they're kind of like big ostriches 
Have you ever seen an emu or an ostrich in real life, like up close and personal? I can't say that I have, but no. Have you had experiences with ostriches? Yeah, there's an ostrich farm, I believe, on the five uh, heading either north or south. There's just this like ostrich farm that is like one of the five things you could stop at for 400 miles. And you could feed the ostriches. You could buy an ostrich egg. These things are really scary up close and personal. They Mm -hmm. give you like a dog food dish and they peck at it and eat out of it. But their pecks aren't like a little puppy taking little nibbles. It's like a jackhammer, like (laughs) whacking at you. Like I watched my mother-in-law like she was in an earthquake trying to hold on to this bowl feeding an ostrich. So I understand the instinct to see these things and be like, we got to get rid of them. They're scary. (laughs) (laughs) Now, from what I read, and this wasn't a super trusted source. Um, but I read that their beaks are so strong that they can pierce through a floorboard. Believe that. Believe mm-hmm. that. There was nothing there was nothing like soft or gentle about these birds. When they walked, they took like big scary steps. When they ate, it was like rah rah rah. So yeah, they're an intimidating bird. You can hire them for demo. That would be <laughs> useful. Now I also read that for a size comparison, one emu egg can make an omelet big enough to feed four to six adults. Mm-hmm. Mm. They sold wow. for about forty dollars in the gift store. And oh they my said, god! You could, yeah, it's like a dinosaur <laughs> egg. It looks like something you'd put on your like kind of like fireplace or something, but ultimately you're supposed to eat it. It's gross. Oh, the, this situation has reminded me of a similar situation that happened recently in Puerto Rico, where they had like an iguana problem. Mm. So I guess iguanas were technically pets in Puerto Rico and then they like let the pets out uh, and then they started procreating and all of a sudden there's like a big iguana population Mm -hmm. and they eat the agriculture. It's it's an issue, right? And they also Mm -hmm. like cause problems on the roadway. So they're like six feet or whatever and they will lay on the asphalt of the road because they're mm. they're reptiles. They need the body heat. Jeez. And then the cars will run them over, sadly, if they're not paying attention. They'll, there is like a lot of car damage. And I guess there were like flights that were being delayed because the iguanas were on the runway. <laughs> they're like the banana peels in Mario Kart. It's like in Mario Kart, if you drive over a banana peel, like yeah. your day is over. <laughs> in Puerto Rico, it's just the iguana. Yeah, but they're like, we, we need to figure this out. And so they they made it not illegal to kill iguanas Ooh. in Puerto Rico. Oh, that's like a teenage boy's dream sentence. That's yeah. awful. That's sad. <laughs> and then they're like, well, maybe it could be a delicacy. You know? <laughs> Does it that's, taste good? Someone has to find out first. No, I, I read, I read. I, it, it smells, I read it smells like a fish. Mm. It tastes like chicken and looks like red meat. Some people said it also tasted wow. like pork. It's like a but Willy Wonka invention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I heard about in Australia, or maybe it was New Zealand. Have you ever heard about the rabbit-proof fence? Did you ever hear about this? Well, we are, we're going to get into it. That's, okay. Perhaps we start. I was going to end with the rabbit-proof fence. Sorry. Perhaps we start with that. It's wow, a this, really is a, this really is a Willy Wonka chocolate factory. Things are upside down. We're <laughs> starting at the beginning, and we're beginning at the end. You're doing it, Charlie. You're doing it. <laughs> so let's go on and put rabbits up on the board. Whoa, this is not where I thought we'd start. <laughs> I love it. there. Now, this is according to rabbitfreeaustralia.com.au. Mm-hmm. So a mm-hmm. little bit one-sided of a website. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, And this is their history of Australia, of rabbits in Australia. Domesticated European rabbits arrived in Australia with the first fleet. They were introduced for food and wild rabbits were later brought in for hunting. A colony of feral rabbits was reported in Tasmania in 1827 and wild European rabbits were released in Victoria in 1859 and in South Australia shortly after. By 1886, they were found throughout that Victoria and New South Wales, uh, even extending to the North Territory by the 1900s. By 1910, feral rabbits were found throughout most of their current rage. And by 1920, it is thought that there were 10 billion rabbits in Australia. The population is currently estimated at 200 million. So it's gone down. Now, Feral rabbits eat crops and compete with livestock for pasture. In Western Australia, what they did in Western Australia was build a 
2,000 kilometer yes. long fence to keep out rabbits. <laughs> okay. Basically like oh coast God. to coast almost, right? It's what Trump wanted to do. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it was like that line in little kids' bedrooms where it's like, you're not allowed to cross this. This is my area and that's your area. <laughs> so it's this massive fence. Um, when rabbits made it through before it was even completed, it was then repurp- repurposed to, fen- to be a fence to keep out emus migrating across <gasps> the landscape. Wow. It's so silly. Like just one rabbit needs to get through and just start repopulating on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that requires two rabbits. But that's right. That's right. I right, could right. be wrong. <laughs> if it's already with child when it crosses, that's right. That's you could right. be right. <laughs> so while it did stop thousands of emus, some managed to break through the fence lines to continue their march. Farmers mm-hmm. then complained that the emus were devastating crops by rolling on them. <laughs> they mm. rolled on the crops. That's mm-hmm. that's like trolling behavior. Yeah, they wouldn't even yes. eat it. I thought they were eating them. They crops. were eating them, but I guess they were eating also rolling on rolling. them. Yeah. <laughs> they also blamed the emus for the holes in the fence that had let the rabbits through, even though the fences were no longer being defined as necessary to stop rabbits because they had failed to do that even before being finished. Yeah. So, Essentially, the emus were accused of knocking over the rabbit-proof fences and letting the rabbits through. Yeah, the rabbits mm. also won their war pretty handedly. Like these, these, oh. these, these guys put up two thousand miles of fence, which takes a while and like just sucks. You already heard about the terrain; you can't even drive a truck on it more than twenty miles per hour. So they put up two thousand right. miles of fence, and all the rabbits did was continue to procreate and win. So now they're just mad. <laughs> now they're mad, and then this massive bird shows up and starts knocking down their fence, and they're like, "You know what? I still have a lot of misplaced anger." Mm. I think we we need to put Ooh, misplaced anger up on the board, misplaced yeah, anger. because that that goes. That can, it's twofold. It's not just against the rabbits, but it's also against, you know, the situation that the government put them For in. For sure. Which mm. we'll get into. But you did mention the um, the the trucks uh, that were going on the mm-hmm. train. Mm-hmm. And I just want to take a quick moment to visualize what it, how silly it must have looked <laughs> for these trucks to be chasing one emu mm-hmm. with like a massive it, it's like a big gun a lewis gun if you maybe yeah. you could look it up chris i'm pretty sure it's like a big machine gun and they're just like running around chasing one emu trying to catch it yeah perhaps we do need to put up on the board like you know, their their first thing was just like, well, we'll just shoot them all. We'll just mm-hmm. run out there and shoot them all. I feel like they could have really strategized a little better. That's mm. my first thought, Rebecca. It's like, this is such dumb guy behavior where it's like, <laughs> what do we know about war? You shoot each other. Someone dies and you win. And it's like, you're going against a different species. You might need to think outside of the box before you go more bullets, more guns. That's clearly <laughs> not working. I mean, I have some suggestions on how you might be able to catch an emu. We can get to that later, but I don't think bullets is Ooh, the one. Well, let's get to it now. I'm kind of curious. All right. Curious. Well, if, if you've watched Scooby-Doo, first and foremost, you know you <laughs> dig a hole and you put leaves over that hole. You put a little emu oh. pellet on top. You can catch multiple. Traps. They're working with guns with one yeah. bullet. It's like you're t- you have a golden gun to try and kill a bird that can run faster than you. Try and catch mm. a bunch in a big hole simultaneously. Ah. If you can't go underground, go overground, the net method. Have that mm. net that when they run into it, a boy, they get hung up in the tree. You know that emus are not cartoons, right? <laughs> well, we Where have to try they? it first. They're cartoonish. Where do they you think ca- they get the idea for cartoons, though? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Life. Oh, it's wow. True. I want to circle back to what Billy was getting to before his genius ideas of how to catch emus. Thank you. Um, of like there, and Rebecca, you were talking about this too, the impulse to go straight to war. How do we, is that toxic masculinity? What is that? Maybe they were stuck in a military mindset. Mm. Mm. Now, the soldiers turned wheat farmers had trouble acclimating to civilian life and then rushed to solve the emu problem from perhaps their military mindset remember these are oh. veterans they had just come back from mm-hmm. you know world war 1 according to murray johnson recalling their experiences of war soldier settlers determined that there might be one 
means of destroying the hordes against which they were they were faced. A deputation of soldier settlers accordingly waited on the Federal Minister of Defense, Sir George Pierce, in Perth, requesting machine guns to launch a counterattack. So, you know, they're coming from war. They get this land. Right. And they, they probably didn't really want to be farmers either. <laughs> they were kind of just like, that was the hand they were dealt. They were like, you want some land? Well, you have to farm it. And then they're put in this situation where, of course, then they're like, well, maybe I'd rather be back at war, mm-hmm. you know, instead yeah. of having to farm this impossible land. We should also put up agriculture expansion. Again, this is Murray Johnson. Soldier settlement and the extension of agriculture with its con- uh, concomitant clearing. Concomitant? I've never seen this word. Clearing of natural timber and the provisions of new water supplies for livestock provided attractive habitats for the migratory birds. Mm-hmm. So mm. before, it was just the middle of nowhere. So the the birds were like, let's get through this area fast and get to the coast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now that there's food and water, all of a sudden they're like, let's hang around. Let's uh, let's visit the sites. Mm-hmm. Let's go to this restaurant and that restaurant. Mm-hmm. And to that point, could we put the prime minister up on the board because it was his bright idea to do this, run this program in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would also put a uh, the Meredith uh, or Major Meder- Meredith is his name. He's the guy who ran the military whatever operation. Attack, operation. Yeah. yeah, he's the one who kind of. He, I feel like he just needed like one brainstorming session. Just circle back. Just circle back <laughs> once. Let's just do one circle back. <laughs> yeah, there's an. Uh, there's. I feel like the whole thing is like shrouded in a lack of progressive thinking. You know, it mm. seems like they got caught in this, we shoot it and we try. But there was no other person or, or body or governing body that was like, well, what about if we like repurpose agriculture, bring them over here, as opposed to thinking to have the hubris that we can just kill anything we want. You know, if there was other approaches mm-hmm. to moving sure. these animals away from us, that seems like there's just been, there was no, no uh, hint of that anywhere in this process. I-, I like that. Let's put lack of progressive mind thought. or yeah. thought. Yeah. Thinking. Their, previously, their solution to the rabbit problem was build a massive fence. Mm-hmm. So, and that didn't work very early on. Very right. early on. <laughs> yeah. So, they just kept doubling down on the same idea. They were like, one gun, two guns, guns with <laughs> trucks. And it was like, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> It's you know what it is. Maybe they they need more um, like think tank spaces. They 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 needed to just like discuss, mm-hmm. mm, just sit circle down back. and discuss, circle, circle back. back. Can I throw out a um, maybe an unlikely but one group that might be a bit responsible for all of this? Yes, the emus. Oh, the, oh I, you know you. they're not on my list. The emus. I know, I, yeah. Thank here's what you. we know. About, here's what you. we know about the emus. They showed up. They basically threw a party, tore the whole place up. <laughs> when the people whose house it was came and they were like, "Hey, you can't be doing that around here." They multiplied. They're like, "We're calling our friends and we're going harder. We're going to throw more parties." everywhere and then Mm -hmm. once they started eating all the land they're like all right we're in a fight they started taunting them and rolling in their grass (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you have a high school teenager drinking on your yard and you say get off my lawn and they start rolling in your grass you're going to want to get a lewis gun and take one shot at that teenager it's just the facts of the game so the emus are provocateurs let's just say that ah well and you did though say something when the emus came to came to their house Mm-hmm. But who whose house is it? That, mm. oh, that's wow. so true. Whose house? Wow. That is so true. Wow. I love it. Wow. All right, my blinders came off. My blinders just came off. <laughs> the the emus were already there. So the emus would migrate through the outback yeah. in the Western Australia, and they never had a reason to stop. And so mm. all of a sudden, there's all this food there. They're like, well, now I'm just going to live my life here. But the, the emus were always there. So That's right. The, the, the thing I would then put up, because we should definitely put up the emus. Emu or emu? Emu. Or I think emu. it's emu. Imwa. Um, Imwa. It, I would put, <laughs> is it just too wild down under? Because... Oh. 
I mean, yes. why are people hanging out down there? First of all, like, yes. isn't 99% of it, like, totally uninhabitable by humans? Well, like, this, is my, this is my big thing. Like, why are we there? Va- if, you look at a, if you look at, like, a population mm-hmm. map of Australia, it's, like, the East Coast. There's, like... Mm-hmm. Couple million people on the east, like the sh- like a sliver of the east coast. There's like mm-hmm. a couple million people on the sliver of the west coast, and it's like you can't go anywhere else, really. You'll <laughs> yeah, and that's us. And I think that in a way, we do need to put up. Uh, going off of that, it's like it's it's a, a human hubris or something. Sure, um, a classic here mm, at the Alarmist. Perhaps colonialism as well. Okay, and the Australian government because. Mm. You know, they, they, they mass this burden of they have this harsh terrain. It's pretty much unusable. And it's like a marketing campaign that they threw on it. They're like, we're going to make a good. We're going to make a bad thing good and give it to these uh, veterans as a gift mm. and have them see mm. it as an opportunity. <laughs> so, you know, they knew that it was a new bad. mission. <laughs> <laughs> they knew it was bad land, but they, they were like embarrassed that it hadn't been established you know, and that they weren't making any use of it. So, but like... It's sort of just a packaging marketing play. It's which, like, ever yes. want to chase it's, giant birds around a rough terrain? <laughs> Have we my, got the shitty land for you? <laughs> my question is, why does everything have to be inhabitable? Like, leave deserts alone, leave the outback, leave Mars, for the love of God. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> why? Why do humans just have to, like colonize it's a bit of colonization right i do also want to circle back because i feel like we're going to get some some angry emails from our australian alarmy listeners okay because we're not suggesting i'm not suggesting that australia isn't a it's like a beautiful country oh yeah hands down like gorgeous country yeah yeah yeah. i'm just saying hey guys there's like a lot of land down there that you don't touch maybe that's a sign or is there or should you like that's okay. It can I'm still with, it can be both things. But I'm with Chris's first point. I am afraid there might be too much thunder down under. Because <laughs> <laughs> you see these videos. Did you guys see the video of the dog who was like taken by the kangaroo and then the big man walked up to the kangaroo, tried to get his dog free, and when the kangaroo wouldn't let it free, he punched it square in the face. No. <laughs> I was like, just another wow. day in Australia. And if you haven't seen that clip, you literally need to. It is so sad satisfying and so bizarre it is a six foot man facing off against a kangaroo who's also six feet tall and they box and it's just like there's so much thunder down under so it's a lot of thunder too much thunder down under is is the question is there is there well is there i also think we should address sort of this toxic masculinity as sort of an umbrella term, just because, uh, like, you know, there were no women involved in these decisions. All the farmers were men. Mm. Um, it, it's a bit kind of like, I think at the time, especially, was a very agro culture. Yes. In Australia, perhaps. Agro, so maybe it's worth agro. putting. Yep. Agro, agro, agro. agroculture. Yes. Agroculture. I mean, a I lot of these historical just, tragedies yeah. could have been avoided if they just like listened to women or like literally brought a few of them along. We need and been like, hey, give us your opinion. Was, what should we do here? It was a little too agroculture and uh, and not enough estroculture. <laughs> Estrogen. I, I got it. The, the silence was better than a round of applause for me. Well, that was the, uh, the alarmy won't hear the silence because the alarmy will be chuckling with delight. That's right. Mine. We'll see about that. Cute play we'll on see. words. Please write in and let us know if you laughed at, uh, es- at, at estro culture. jokes. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, going, I want to circle back to government propaganda. Because I think we should also put this up on the board. And we were talking about it, like the marketing of it all. Murray Johnson again writes, the task force was also joined by a Fox movie tone cinematographer. Okay. (laughs) To record the forthcoming campaign, which suggests that someone in authority saw direct military activity in the Wheatlands as a useful government propaganda. Sydney Morning Herald says the fact that pictures of the destructions of the birds by machine guns were being taken for film purposes creates a a suspicion that everything might not be quite 
quite as stated. There is certainly a novelty, if not a theatrical pose, about the whole proceedings that could and should be further explained. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What were they doing with the footage? Just showing people, look, we're doing it, we're winning the war? Or was I, it... I guess it was like, they're, they're, yeah, I guess they're conquering this emu problem. Maybe it's a, it goes back to fetish, fetishization of the military Ooh, per our last episode. This. We just yeah. learned this. Yeah. Mm. So it's like, look what else the military is good for. Mm. It's good for protecting your home. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe right. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who the heck knows? Amanda, we decided to do this episode. Remind me if, if I'm forgetting something. But we decided to do this episode because someone wrote in saying that they yes. had been attacked by an emu. Okay, so we've had, this has been, I think, a listener suggestion for a while. And then we got a review. Um, so this is, I'm trying to put the pieces together. And if this is you, please reach out. But someone in one of our reviews said that they got kicked in the head by an emu. And they mm. want us to cover the emu wars. Mm. And then they also uh, left a, another lo- similar review on the Big Ones podcast, another Erio show that I host with Maria Blasucci. Just a quick plug. Because it came up, um, where they also cited that they had been kicked kicked by an emu. And so, if this is you, or if you have any experiences with emu, please, please reach out to us. Um, give us a phone call. Leave us a voicemail at the Erios Hotline six two six six zero four six two six two. That's six two six 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 two. And of course, I'll link to that in the show notes, and we'll play your voicemail on the aftermath. Yes. So any any experience with an emu, we want to hear it. Give us a call. Mm-hmm. Can I make Air- a secondary request on top of that? Yeah. <laughs> if you've been kicked in the head or in any body part by an emu. Picks or it didn't happen. I mean, respect, but we got to see one pick. <laughs> Let me see that You're bruise. obsessed with videos. <laughs> I just want to see a talon, Mark. If you really got kicked by a talon, like you took a photo. You're, 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 you're not YouTuber. that humble. You're, you're not that you're, humble. You're like a, of the new generation. I am totally um. just like, yeah, follow me on socials. You know. <laughs> now, another thing we could probably put up on the board is the emu anatomy. Mm. Oh. Blame the neck. Girl, look at that body. Mm. Girl, look at that body. Mm. Mm. They work out. <laughs> Finish it. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, so Richard Stockton wrote in Science and Technology. Oh, he's a science and technology writer. Like the dinosaurs that they are, emus bleed slowly. Like herbivores, they have large gut tracts that occupy most of their body cavity, making a one-shot kill to a vital organ unlikely. Mm-hmm. Like birds, they have a large coat of feathers that disguises their real body dimensions and makes it likely the shooter will aim too high or too low to inflict an effective wound. Love that. So the Sunday Herald, July 5th, 1953, wrote, Major Meredith remarked on the outstanding ability of the emus to keep moving even when badly wounded. He sighed, if we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face an army in the world. It would face any army in the world. (laughs) I was like, an army. They, They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks they are like zulus whom even dumb dumb bullets couldn't stop Hmm. another member of the party bitterly remarked there's only one way to kill an emu shoot him through the back of the head when his mouth is closed or through the front of the mouth when his mouth is open Jiminy that, Crickets. This is some dumb is. guy shit. I have to just tell you, this is all of my friends and Chris's friends from Long Island. We say shit like that. Yeah, exactly. We, the person who said that doesn't know anything. But can I piggyback off of that for a second? Because I think yeah. one thing we're just kind of missing in all of this is what animal hunts emu? Like, can you possibly oh. introduce the animal that is on this planet to eat that thing as opposed to us trying to shoot it? Yeah. I, that's a really good point. And it circles back to the iguana problem in Puerto Rico. The reason there are so many iguanas is that there is no, uh, what do you call it? Uh, someone predator, 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 yeah, predator exactly. for the iguana. So I, I think you're right. I think that that in changes a lot of ecosystems. Ways, that does. This is yeah. that video. 
This is, Do you see this that is video? what's called the there was this is called a there was an old lady phenomenon. This is the song There Was an Old Lady Who Swallowed a Spider and then she start she swallowed a bird to swallow the spider. And then she swallowed oh, a spider. That's true. This is this is a there was an old lady phenomenon. We need a mm. we need an we animal need an to old eat lady? the emu. No, it's it's what happens after she swallows an emu. What does she swallow next okay. in order to swallow the emu? This is exactly. I'm, I'm, not I'm looking sense. it up. Exactly. Let's see. Exactly. <laughs> this is what does she Chris, swallow can next? Not sense. Chris, can you look up that poem and see if they ever get to emu? Okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> And then what comes next? We'll never hear from Chris for the rest of the episode. Here we go. There's a video of Yellowstone Park. I believe it's Yellowstone, where there was this section where like the rivers stopped flowing. And there was this weird thing happening with the ecosystem where a lot of plant lives were dying and animals were like leaving. And no one really knew why. And they reintroduced, they literally brought in wolves to this region. And this region like needed wolves to hunt this animal that ate this thing. And within like... 18 months of just introducing this animal, the rivers came back, like animals that hadn't been there in like 25 years came back. It was like everything was back to what it should be. So it seems like there might just be an imbalance in Australia at this time. No wolves. No, lack of wolves. (laughs) Lack Lack of of wolves. wolves. But yes, you're right. An imbalance, yeah. Just going to say humans are the great disruptors and human human industry is the great disruptor of the balance of nature. Maybe we should put the great disruptors up on the board. Um, so do we have anything else we want to throw up on the board? Because we're kind of running out of time here. Just to circle back to there was an old lady. Unfortunately, oh, she never eats an emu. Mm. She swallows yeah. She swallows a cat. Then she swallows a dog to catch the cat. Then she swallows a goat to catch the dog. Then she swallows a cow to catch the goat. And then she swallows a horse to catch the cow. Mm. Damn. And then she dies, then right? she dies, I mean, that's, sadly. You can't recover from swallowing a horse. No, a cow, maybe, but a horse. <laughs> No. What did she die from? Was it related to all the animals or was it just like uh, influenza? (laughs) Old age, I think. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to start knocking things off the board. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, who's to blame for the emu war? Rabbits, misplaced anger, stuck in military mindset, agricultural expansion, Major Meredith. Prime Minister James Scullin, the emus, mm. lack of progressive thinking, too much thunder down under, <laughs> human hubris, colonialism, Australian government, agroculture, government propaganda, emu anatomy, lack of predators, or the great disruptors, humans. 
Wow. I, I honestly, I thought this was going to be a really short list. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even include big nets or the hole method, the Scooby-Doo hole method in the ground. Lack of big nets. Lack of big nets. That sort of gets into uh, lack of progressive thinking, That's I think. That's right. right? Or mm-hmm. military mm-hmm. mindset. Really maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we should wrap up lack of progressive thinking into military, stuck in military mindset. Uh, I don't know if that's, I, I see those as different. Maybe vice versa. Stuck in military mindset could almost get wrapped up into agroculture. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Is agroculture... Agriculture <laughs> run for the by listeners. Men. That's yeah. agro. That is agro hyphen culture, not agriculture. Yeah, I just want to know that's, what yeah. that is. Like, it's fun. It's, it's fun, is fun. Is what word. it is. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, yes, but I agree with you, Amanda. I think we can fold that in. It feels unfair to the rabbits that we're blaming them for the emus. <laughs> just going to put that out there. I'm sure that the top of most of your lists um, get bumped pretty quick, but this is the emu wars. We're like, those damn other animals, they're to blame. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. We're going to take them off the list. Emu anatomy, it's hard to blame that they're hard to kill. That's right. It's like they, they prolonged the war because, yeah. I don't know, that seems tough too. And I feel like human hubris can get folded into the great disruptors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It also seems hard to place it on one person. Now, it very well may be one person's, like, uh, big decision that, like, just ruined everything. But, like, there was plenty of people running around shooting guns thinking that this was, like, the right approach, uh, even after they knew that it wasn't working. So to blame James Scullin and Major Meredith, while I'm sure— they are responsible for a lion's share of the blame. I don't know if my instinct is to just say, point the finger directly at them. That's interesting. In a way, I, I do think that Ma- Major Meredith has more to blame. Mm-hmm. But, in a, mm-hmm. but in a way, they were just, the, they were there at the service, I guess, of the veterans who called on them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And they could also both be wrapped up into... Australian government. Mm-hmm. Right. That's okay. Let's do that. And I'm just realizing we never put the farmers up. I think we should add them just to be fair to the emus. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty biased list otherwise. But, and, and we can now, I feel like we can fold in the farmers with misdirected er, er, anger. Mm, okay. Because I, I think that was a big thing. They were upset that the land wasn't as profitable. They were, were upset that they weren't getting the money that, that mm-hmm. they were promised mm-hmm. for the wheat that they were mm-hmm. forced to grow, pretty much. Mm-hmm. They should have <laughs> just went for they're angry. I, and they had nowhere to put it. That was the thing. They couldn't grow, so they had nowhere to place this energy, even if it was anger or just, like, energy. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is probably pre-jogging, so they probably weren't going for jogs. Well, it's too hot. It's a dry it's climate. Too it's a dry Way climate. too hot. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, and the gym is probably a long drive away. We've already oh, talked yeah. about the terrain You're, in Australia, so they're probably not working out. With gyms. <laughs> I've got this pinky. Have I talked about my pinky yet? <laughs> yes, we've talked about the pinky. Okay, got it. <laughs> but you're right. It, it, the, the misdirected anger, for me, really, it, it, it's like the core of the issue, I think. Mm-hmm. But misplaced anger, sorry. Misdirected, mm. they, they both work. Mm-hmm. Can we fold agricultural expansion into colonialism or vice versa. Well, it's interesting because we it is more specific to agriculture in this particular situation because we're not talking about like the founding of Australia. We're talking about right. the Australians who are already there moving into the outback, which is extreme conditions and trying to produce there. Yeah, um, it's more like exploitation of the land or something. So it, I kind of think wrap colonialism into agricultural expansion. Okay, let's let's go ahead and do that, and then maybe wrap all of that into agroculture, which kind of encompasses the combination of colonialism <laughs> and agriculture. Yeah, that is championing. <laughs> yeah. She is championing yes, this totally. pun. Yes. she's a hundred percent right, and this pun just doesn't quit, folks. Agroculture <laughs> does not quit. Um, so we we still have the emus up on the board. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that they there. Can we blame them for just being who they are? Mm. Again, it was their maybe it wasn't their home. The terrain wasn't their actual home, but it was their 
highway. There was something you said <laughs> in the explanation of all of this earlier that stuck with me about after the first go round where the emus were shot at and they realized, oh, we're under attack. They seem to have circled back like the Australian <laughs> government should have. And they're like, we need to come up with a plan. And they pocketed <laughs> off and they started having these like coordinated attacks. So they're not exactly innocent. They clearly showed up to the fight day two and they were like, look at what yes, we can do now. Wild. So they're not innocent. They're not. They could have left. Exactly. They obviously had other food to eat. And more land. More land. Honestly, if if the military had an emu on their side, Mm. they probably would have come up with a better... Mm-hmm. <laughs> a better plan. <laughs> the emus were clearly outsmarting them I'm, in, in I'm, warfare. So should we take the emus off, though? I mean, they're not innocent, but are they? I don't know. It is hard because they're not. They're yeah. Just they're because not they're innocent. smart, adaptive, and built like tanks. Like we shouldn't. Like, we <laughs> and shouldn't impossible to kill. <laughs> and <laughs> impossible to kill. Yeah, just because they're like a worthy adversary doesn't mean that like. <laughs> I mean, they're just a worthy adversary. That's you know what true. I was I was going to say too, but I I forgot was um, never underestimate the enemy. You know, ah, I feel like they, yeah. that that Facts. the, the people people they were like, ah, don't worry about these emus, like they're big dumb birds. No, they're not. They're like they're built not. to last. And this yeah. is this is a situation where I do feel like we are not Australian, and if maybe we were Australian and we had experiences with emus, we would have a different mentality against. Mm emus or or biases towards emus i don't know but i'm very i really do want to hear from our australian listeners because i know there's a lot of you and i want to know how you feel about the emu emu like are we letting them off the hook too easily Mm. i could i could see us slapping the emu honestly (laughs) if you can get your hands on it amanda I don't know how we're going to get one to hold still. They are clearly going to be pretty hard to catch. Bullets don't work, but you can smack them pretty easy. Like, they'll take a slap. Amanda running after an emu with her hand up like... Amanda went from, maybe we take the emus off the list to, I'd smack an emu. they're They're not innocent. Yeah, Let's think. How about too too much thunder down under? What do you guys yeah, think? Could that th- be taken off? Sadly, I really want to blame that, but crap. Um, that is actually the one that I I, I was going to give my final vote to. I'm willing to really? concede. Okay. I, no, 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 no. Let's keep no. it up. Let's us. I just think that it's a look. Coming from a person who's never been to Australia before, and I'm a cool millennial. All I know is YouTube videos. When I see media come out of Australia. People are like avoiding shark attacks or fighting sharks while surfing. It's just the most alpha place. It just and it just seems like it keeps like feeding into itself. And again, I've never been there. This is definitely stereotyping, and I apologize in advance. But there is just so much thunder down under that that is my understanding of this place. So well, I, I also that's think just I, where I'm at. It's it's a it's a wild like like everything is bigger down there, and and we probably can't even like imagine it. The, and they yeah. don't seem to mind it. That's the kind of crazy thing. Like <laughs> in the interview it. after the event, they're just like, yeah, I just had to like hit the roomite. And it was just like, <laughs> you don't just hit the roo. They're just so casual about it. So I don't know. Maybe it's the right amount of thunder down under. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I do love a lot of Australians. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm willing so. to concede it, but I'm glad I at least got in that final push for um, my love of how much thunder there is down under. <laughs> I don't know. I think we could leave it for now, but let's sort of narrow in on lack of predators and the great disruptors. Or are we thinking that that could maybe be taken off at this point, or do we like that area? Agroculture kind of <laughs> encompasses that, I think. And I also think that we can take the Australian government off. What do you think? And, and just keep govern- fold that into government propaganda. Because mm. it's that specific marketing ploy that... <sighs> That for me was detrimental and a big cause of the situation, which mm. also kind of folds into Billy's love of th- too much thunder down under because they're kind of playing into this image of Australia mm-hmm. that they were obviously trying to project, you know, military might to the world. Mm. Oh, well said. 
It's military might, mate. Oh, Chris. <laughs> now that He's... is a step. Yeah, that we get some applause. That we we love that. That's going to be our Astro. audio Astro quote, culture. Quote no, right here. I can already hear my own voice on Instagram right now. <laughs> how good that was, no, and how good it continues to be. <laughs> the hits keep coming. It's Astro culture. So we still have misplaced anger, the emus, lack of progressive thinking, too much thunder. Thunder down under, mm. agriculture, and government propaganda. I'll go ahead and wrap up propaganda into th- too much thunder. Yeah, I agree. Is that okay? Ever, yes. It's starting to feel like a lot of things are going to start folding into too much thunder. Well, <laughs> a lack of progressive thinking for sure. Yeah. Too much thunder. Misplaced and the, anger. the emus, honestly, those emus were born and raised in Australia. <laughs> yes, yes. The native... Too much thunder down on this. <laughs> the emus are the thunder. And in a way, you could put agroculture into that as well. So I do believe. I dare well, do I I wrap believe. all that up, Rebecca? What do you think? Let's leave, let's leave agroculture aside. And here's okay. what I'm thinking. <laughs> I Great think final three. <laughs> <laughs> the final three are misplaced anger, too much thunder down under, and agro culture. Can we at least change them to misplaced anger, too much thunder down under, and yeah. agro culture? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> anger. Now, yeah. here's what I think I think we should send misplaced anger <laughs> to the alarmist jail. Misplaced okay. anger. Because I do think at the root of it, this is why they entered into an emu war. There, there was, they were upset about a lot of things. They were mm-hmm. upset at the government for breaking their promises. Again, they, they were upset at their situation. They were upset at the rabbits. And they were upset at the emus. But like, it was just like an easy target. Mm. And inherited trauma from coming back from war. Totally. And, and simultaneously a very difficult target. A difficult yeah. target, yeah. You got to shoot it through the back of the head and the mouth has to be closed. <laughs> it's, like, it's like killing a zombie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, that's what I think. I think that at the root of it, it was that. And then I would give too much thunder down under the, bi- the big slap. <laughs> no notes. No notes. We notes love either. it. Okay. No notes. Oh, I do love agroculture, though. And we'll got to keep that in our back pocket yeah. for the future. Yeah. yeah. Did it All for right. the culture. I'm going to call it too much thunder down under. You're getting the big slap. Misplaced anger. You're going to the alarmist jail. (laughs) (laughs) We We friggin' did it. Funny. Oh, I hope uh, we're going to get a lot of emails about that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, but Billy, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and, you know, helping us get to the bottom of this emu war thing. It's literally my pleasure. As soon as Chris suggested that there might be too much thunder down under, my ears perked up and I was like, <laughs> I think we've solved it right here. Right? <laughs> okay. You know what? You need to remember what you said and circle back and, and perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, give a few other things a consideration. I'll circle back. I'll circle back. <laughs> After the Great Emu War, Murray Johnson wrote, While it had been a unique experiment, it was not one which the military authorities were keen to repeat. In 1934, 1938, and again in 1943, they warded off further requests by Western Australian wheat growers to turn their machine guns on migratory emus. Instead, the farmers used their own weaponry to continue the battle, and in 1943, They were issued with free ammunition by local vermin boards after the threat of Japanese invasion had receded from Australian shores. As it turns out, machine guns were soon shown to have been entirely unnecessary, for the scale of killing was considerable indeed. Between 1945 and 1960, no less than 284,704 emus were destroyed in Western Australia. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at 
thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We're covering the devastating Iroquois Theater fire. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.